0: Hey, welcome to Hemp Radio, it's Patty Cakes, the Queen of Cannabis, and I'm at my favorite place this week, it's the Mind, Body, Spirit, Mind, Body, and Holistic Healing Expo. It's so long, and I I just, I don't know why, I've been here saying it, this is my second day, and I still don't remember it. (laughs) I mean, not that I don't remember it, but it's like I put my own words in. Anyway, I am here with the fabulous Dr. John Metcalf of Medical Marijuana. He's a medical marijuana specialist. And hi, John. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Patty. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Today's a great day, even though it's a little cold here in Pittsburgh. Oh, no. Do you know that I've had the windows and doors open here? I've been hot. Wow. Because I can't handle the, the the heat. I don't have heat. So the heat makes it too hot for me in the, the humidity house. Humidity and the whole bit? No. Oh, no, no. Just in the house. Okay. There's heat on it. It just dries me out and makes me crazy.
1: All right. But
0: I like the fresh air. So um, we started talking yesterday, and it was too fabulous to tape in a room with all that noise. Sure. Um, tell us exactly what you do and how you came about to do it yeah well
1: back in the early days I did graduate work in medical sociology University Utah and um, I wanted to do a little bit more specifically on psychology so I graduated and went to Brigham Young University in Provo Utah where I received my PhD in clinical psychology and finished an internship At Salt Lake City Veterans Hospital.
0: How do you like working with crazies, John?
1: (laughs) Well, let's put it this way it was quite an experience.
0: You went from crazies to cannabis. I love it.
1: (laughs) Well, it was quite an experience for sure. But then I felt my education was incomplete. So I went to medical school at the Autonomous University of Borges in Mexico. And then I came back here to Pittsburgh. And I did an internship and residency in internal medicine. And I became board certified. After that I went out and I did urgy care, primary care medicine, emergency medicine. And then for the last twenty two years, I became medical director of an occupational firm here in Pittsburgh.
0: What made you get into cannabis? That's the question. Because you've been in psychology, psych I I mean
1: Well, what prompted it was the fact is a couple years ago I had my own health issues. And I knew Were you crazy? Pardon? Were you crazy? No, I wasn't crazy. I had uh, kind of like a metabolic syndrome, which is like pre-diabetes. And I know what the conventional route was and how to proceed on that, but that's not something I wanted to do. So I changed the course of my medical focus into functional medicine. I also studied functional immunology, the immune system, neurology. And then I started working uh, with uh, some functional medicine patients, including children that had hyperkinetic or autism. These children were very active and um, um, and their moms were saying, gee, is there anything that can be done for this?
0: Now, did you know anything about the studies that were being done? In, in what year was this?
1: This was in uh, 2017.
0: Oh, so you didn't know any of the things that were going on and people were, no. all, everybody was packing their sick kids and going to Colorado because that's where the cures were?
1: That's right. I had no idea because my focus was on functional medicine. uh, Uh, Okay. So, therefore, when I started working with these children, we had some CBD products in our office, and I tried some tincture, sublingual. These kids, within a few minutes, a few seconds, started to calm down. I was flabbergasted.
0: Okay. So, were you giving it to them orally?
1: Uh, Tincture under the tongue. And... But they probably swallowed it, more likely. And then, all of a sudden, they started to calm down within a few seconds to a few minutes. And I, I was going, gee, I was completely taken back. And so the moms I said, what is this stuff? And to be honest, that started my journey along the uh, cannabis, medical marijuana, CBD, THC. And I started to do a lot of research. So over the last year and a quarter, I've spent, I retired. And, and basically, I've been doing um, cannabis. I've been doing research. I'm a certifying physician in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, I teach all over the city. Uh, I teach the community, medical people, and it's a real passion because I'm a real advocate of it.
0: Okay. And I'm from Pittsburgh, so I know how conservative, is that the word to call it (laughs) here? Um, How have you been, I mean, you have a lot of uh, names after your name. I mean, it's prestigious because you're not just a schmuck from the street, (laughs) you know, trying to open up a dispensary. Sure. How... How did your peers feel about? It? I mean, this was 2017, or, right? I mean, that was two years ago.
1: Well, basically, uh, I had retired, and so I, okay, my my peers really weren't my peers anymore. Okay, and um, my peers became more in the functional medicine arena, and then I got into cannabis. Then that changed the whole way I saw the world. I started exclusively doing medical cannabis because of what I saw in these children and I started doing the research. And the more I read, the more I researched, the more I explored and taught, the more convinced I was that this was the route that people needed for chronic health problems, even for, in some ways, just for living. But in this state, it's only legal uh, for medical marijuana.
0: And that was recent, correct? Was that 2018 or 2019?
1: It was 2016, it was approved, however, The first dispensaries and certifications were not done until January of 2018.
0: See, this is what really makes me crazy, John. Why would it take them that long? They've had all these years to prepare for this, and they didn't. They didn't do their due diligence because they didn't think it was going to happen, or what? Well,
1: you know, probably that's a little bit beyond my purview, but I think what basically transpired, it took that long for the legislature to enact Policies to set up the Medical Marijuana Board under Dr. Rachel Levine, the health secretary in our state. Okay, and what is she like? Is she pro cannabis? She is pro cannabis. She is a very smart, intelligent lady who gets things done. In fact, she. was able to have certain conditions, uh-huh. uh, such as autism in our state. Also, uh, opio also use cannabis for as oh, sole substitute therapy for opiate use disorder. And she's also allocated eight medical universities in the state of Pennsylvania. I am
0: so impressed. I I, I, I just think that is such a win win for Pennsylvania. What better place to do it is in the university, right? And we have so many universities. I mean, in Pittsburgh, we have a lot. Right. Are there any in Pittsburgh that will be participating?
1: I believe that University of Pittsburgh will be. I okay. know Temple University. I know State College. Okay. Uh, but right now they're they're also still in the process. There's litigation, and which is not an uncommon situation because
0: Why private should girl- they get involved? Who gives? Who cares what they think?
1: Well, politics I, and money. You
0: know. I know. I so
1: know, it's kind of hard to go down that hole because yeah. you know I, basically it doesn't really affect the unit It me on is what day. it is. It is what it well, is. Well it
0: affects us. It yes, affects it affects the time it takes for them to get their job done.
1: Right. I agree, absolutely. But you know that's that's American politics, you know. Look at it this way. Uh, THC CBD medical marijuana is still illegal on a federal level. It's a schedule 1, which means it has no value or does harm like heroin cocaine, LSD. I mean, that, that makes no sense to me if you look at the literature. And uh, so I'm taken back by that. But as long as it's a Schedule One or illegal, even though there's 34 independent state medical boards that have approved it based upon research, yeah. it, it, this is not about science. This is about money and money politics. Pow-
0: money, power, and greed. The power and greed comes into the political. I, I mean, it's all... And it's because I guess I grew up thinking that when you were a politician, your job was to serve the people, not to suck the life out of them.
1: Well, that's kind of a different story for a different day. Yeah. You know, I know that right it pisses now... pisses me off, though. Right. Well, for instance, recently the Auditor General, De Pasquale, in the state of Pennsylvania says that we can increase our tax revenue $580 million... More. 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 Right, probably more, but that's a conservative estimate if it's recreational is approved in the state of Pennsylvania. They've also shown, in a recent survey in 2017, that 56% of Pennsylvanians want
0: recreational cannabis. It's more than that. That was a lie. Just quoting what, I I, what I've read. <laughs> I know what they say. I, I Well, look at that. it this way.
1: There's 90% of the American public wants medical cannabis. Yeah. And that's going. It's rapidly moving from coast to coast, and uh, I personally think that it's going to be legal on a federal level within the next couple of years. Oh, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the door is open.
0: What do you What do you think about Pittsburgh, though? What do you think when they're going to get their uh, medical, uh, recreational, or adult use? Uh, when do you think that would happen?
1: That's I personally think advice. over the next year.
0: I do, too. Right. That's what I said.
1: Absolutely. Because the bottom line is this. A few months ago, Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania, he was not uh, a proponent of having recreational. But over the last month or two, he's, he's changed his stance. In fact, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman is going from border to border in Pennsylvania Having town halls, getting people's opinion about
0: recreational. I think it's fabulous. I've read that.
1: Absolutely, and I think a lot of this has to do with money and politics. Because the bottom line is, you have New Jersey, you have New York, you have surrounding states that are saying, "Hey, we're going to get recreational," and we would lose a great deal of share of that money if people were to go to other states. And
0: that's what they do.
1: Right? Exactly I don't what care happens. If no? you're
0: not giving the people what they want, they're going somewhere else to get it. That's exactly. And right. riding around Pittsburgh, I thought. Think of all the fucking potholes they can fix <laughs> with that money. I mean, we uh, w- w- this morning on the way in here, I said, "Oh my God, Frank, that's a SIG call. It looked like a SIG call." Yeah. And and I thought, look at the neighborhoods. Look what you can do for the veterans. Look what you. I mean, I don't know your homeless problem, but we're overwhelmed with it where we in California. Yes. Because if I was homeless, I'd go to California or Florida too. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, stay, I wouldn't stay too. here. Too cold. Right. But, I mean, it could do so... The money, that the taxes, I mean, the revenue, it's overwhelming if you study all the states. Yes. You know, crime's gone down, you know, kids aren't... They're doing things... The opioid, and I looked at the statistics, and I don't know how accurate... You know, nothing's ever accurate. But, you know, a lot of uh, opioid use among... Young people was coming down. I mean, it's just been a whole incredible uh, journey.
1: Well, if you want to look at statistics, let's talk about the opioid epidemic. Currently, there's 133 people die every day from opioid overdose. That's one every 12 minutes. You have in 2014, you had 28,000 people die from that. 2016, you had 64,000. 2017, you had 72,000 people die. From 1999 to 2015, there was a 400% increase in opiate prescriptions. There was over 630,000 Americans who died from opiate overdose. It's just mind-boggling.
0: And we talked about this yesterday. Right. It's the doctors. I mean, and I always thought, oh, the doctors... Are, the doctors are in bed with the pharmaceutical companies because that's who really pays them. You, they give you samples, you push their pills, and blah blah blah.
1: Well, let me just say this: when the opiates came out, there was a different way. There was opiates, and there was heroin, and then there was fentanyl, synthetic. Now, what transpired is early in the nineteen excuse me early two thousand is that uh, OxyContin came out. And we were told as physicians that this was not addictive because it was slow release. Now. But what
0: difference does it make if it's slow release or fast release has to do with an addiction? What is.
1: Well, they say. Nobody
0: questioned it?
1: No, it did not. They basically came out and showed the studies that this was not addicting. And as Uh. physicians, we learned from the pharmaceutical companies. And uh, now, in 2007. The uh, Purdue Pharma, which is the manufacturer of OxyContin, uh, had to pay a fine of seven hundred million dollars because they were not honest with the FDA investigators. Because it did show that it was highly addictive. That was a small. That was a small amount of money. Who
0: oversees that? Who oversees that? How could that slip through the crack? Money. It's all about money.
1: Politics. Ab- money. I mean, it basically it. It, it, it's, okay,
0: it's, so because they they were caught in a lie. And they got a slap on the wrist. Right. Because seventy million dollars seven hundred. Seven hundred million is nothing. That's right. It's nothing. nothing. That's like twenty dollars to me. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, just recently there's twelve hundred lawsuits now against Purdue Pharma. Love it. And Oklahoma just had a settlement of two hundred and thirty million dollars because because Purdue Pharma is thinking about going bankrupt. But what you don't understand is they've taken this show on the road to Europe, to Asia, to South America. So now they're starting to experience what we're experiencing now. Did you know that we have 5% of the world's population, we use 80% of the opiates?
0: Wait Eight- say that again.
1: United States. United States. That's 5% of the world's population. Okay. And we use 80% of the world's opiates.
0: Why? Are we stupid here?
1: Marketing. Because look look at it this way. When a patient, there's over 100 million people in the United States that have chronic pain. When people come to see a physician, what tools does the physician have for treating pain? It's opiates, especially when we were told it's not addictive. So we just kept prescribing it, prescribing it, and then it became a national epidemic. And right now, physicians are trying to downgrade themselves. Because what happens is is that the FDA DEA is looking at physicians, and they're starting to take their license or sanction them. So physicians are very gun shy. wait a minute.
0: The FDA approved the shit. They said it was fine. There was nothing with it. Who does the due diligence at the federal dumb agency? I mean, come on.
1: I think you'd have to ask them.
0: (laughs) Who who oversees everybody? No one. Somebody that's saying, okay, how much are you giving me? You're fine. That's the bottom line. And that's so sad. I I mean, the more I talk to you, the more appalled I am. Because I did not, never thought about it like that.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it really is a shame because this is the number one crisis that we have in America. A hundred million people have chronic pain, and yet... In 2015... Oh, don't you
0: think some of them are just crazy, too? You know,
1: well, yeah, there could be that, too. <laughs> but you know what? There was a review article in the um, Annals of Internal Medicine in 2015, and they were looking to see what studies were available to show that opiates could be used for chronic pain. They reviewed 34 studies, did a meta-analysis, and found that there was not one study that compared opiates greater than a year for quality of life and functioning in life, all they came up with was the side effects, the heart attacks, the broken bones, the sexual dysfunction, the opiate overdoses, and the reason it's so um, pervasive and so, because it's highly addictive. Now they came up with synthetic uh, opiates like fentanyl, which is a hundred times um, I- more, hundred times more potent than morphine. Yeah. And they just came out with a new drug that's 1,000
0: times more potent than okay. morphine. Who did? Purdue?
1: No, some other company.
0: Another company that says, because Purdue's getting in their in their bad situation. So right. this company said, okay, we're going to make a better drug. Right. So there's new drugs on the market yet?
1: Called Dysuvia, D-S-U-V-I-A. It okay. is 1,000 times stronger than morphine, 10 times stronger than fentanyl.
0: Oh my God, all you drug addicts, I mean, <laughs> head to your local pharmacy for what is it? Desuvia. Desuvia. I'll, I'll ask my daughter, she's in pharmacy. She hates all the crackheads and drug addicts. <laughs> she can't stand them. Um, because she sees what it does, she knows what it does, and she also knows what cannabis does. Right. Well, look at
1: it this way let's look at the safety margin of cannabis, all right? As far as its mortality. Tobacco causes four hundred eighty-five thousand deaths a year. Alcohol causes eighty-five thousand deaths a year. Um, prescription medication causes thirty-three thousand deaths a year. Aspirin causes six thousand deaths a year. Peanut allergies one hundred. Yeah. You know how many deaths from cannabis? Zero.
0: Say that again.
1: Absolutely none. None. There's and been... this is
0: from a doctor. Who right? knows? I mean, and it, it, and you know okay. the interesting.
1: Why this comes about? If you go into PubMed, which is a medical search engine on the on the internet, there's over fifty thousand studies called called PubMed. P U B P U B M E D. There's over fifty thousand studies on cannabis. If you put in marijuana and cannabis, they total about fifty thousand studies. Now, did you know that between 1999 and 2015, the FDA approved 187 new drugs? Out of those, two-thirds only had two studies, and one-third of those had one study, you know, and they were approved.
0: By, who were they approved by? The FDA. The FDA. Right. Now, I, I, I don't get it, though.
1: Okay, we'll look at it this way. In 2006... How
0: can they approve drugs that aren't properly, I mean...
1: <laughs>
0: that's their standard, unfortunately.
1: But remember too from 2006 to 2015 big pharma pharmaceutical companies spent 880 million dollars lobbying congress in order to have uh, their products approved.
0: No you said when you say lobbying it means having their hands out for money that's <laughs> lobbying i mean you got to tell it like it is Politics. whoever it's right it, whoever puts the most money out that's who gets the prize.
1: Big Pharma has estimates that they would lose $18.1 billion a year if recreational cannabis is approved.
0: And it will be. Yeah, of course it will. You know, what I really want to talk about, and we talked about it for a short time, was the endocannabinoid system. Yes, And, you know, what cannabidiol does. I mean, it's so confusing to people. Sure. People are going through the, C- the CBDs, And, you know, saying, okay, do I do CBD? Is it it going to cure my illnesses? What is your take on what's going on now?
1: Well, first of all, I want to explain what the endocannabinoid system is. Endo means made in the body. Now, I call it the inner pharmacy. And I got this term from one of my teachers, Dr. Dustin Sulak, up in Maine. Very educated. He taught Sanjay Gup from CNN. And uh, very bright man, very educated. And what the endocabinoid system basically is is a cell signaling system. What that means is is that everybody has cells in your body that function and these cells are constantly monitoring inside the cell environment and outside the cell environment. When they find an imbalance then the cell membrane starts to secrete certain chemicals and certain receptors to turn on the biochemistry of that cell to have an effect in order to bring the body, to bring that cell into balance, called homeostasis.
0: That's what the endocannabinoid system does. Why are, I mean, I guess people are resistant because they don't understand the medical part of it, right. the scientific part of it. I mean, I don't go and look at scientific things Either so, it's very hard for people to understand okay. that language. You know what? How do you, when you're doing your um, speeches and lectures, how do you put it in a language that they understand? Okay.
1: Well, first of all, then I explain the different components of the endocabinoid. But let's put it simple. Let's let's take a concrete example. Let's take somebody who has been exposed to a virus or a bacteria and they start to develop a sinus infection. Uh, what the body, the endocannabinoid, says, is start to secrete mucus. Mucus will dislodge the virus or the bacteria to help diminish the probability that that's going to spread in the body. The body also changes the pH, the temperature, because that also can kill viruses, pathogens, like, uh, like bacteria. And the third thing the body does is it puts your body at rest in order to heal. That's how the endocabinoid, it works like a team. All of these different components and cell receptors work together in order to promote bringing the body back into balance. Now, let's give you some little statistics. The endocabinoid system was initially um, described by uh, Raphael McCollum over in Israel in the early He's 1990s. He's hero. He's a fabulous. He's absolutely. my hero.
0: And I call them my delicious friends because <laughs> yeah, right. they're so brilliant.
1: It is, and Israel is. is the number one country today yes. for research. Yes. Now, so what happened is, is that um, you would think that this concept would be taught in all medical schools. Now, because medical schools are afraid of losing federal funding, because it's a Schedule One there's less than 13% of medical schools that teach an abridged version of the endocannabinoid and cannabis theory it's
0: starting to change right uh, i saw and it, 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 i can't think of the name off the tip of my tongue that there it, it, there's uh, universities that are putting cannabis in their curriculum
1: well, let me say this, too. There's two universities, Brown University and University of Wisconsin, that actually teach a whole course on this.
0: Right. Right. Wisconsin, I remember right. that.
1: Well, the thing is, is that when you say medical schools, what's happening if you look at the literature? It's more the pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical schools, that are adding these courses to the curriculum because it is important because it is a concept that is spreading from coast to coast. Medical schools are still very hesitant. Because they get their funding right. from the federal government. They don't want
0: to lose their money. No. That's why doctors, and now what? there's more and more doctors, and, 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 you know, I'm so impressed because 10 years ago, doctors wouldn't talk about it because they didn't want to lose their, their license. Right,
1: and that's still the fear that we have now. Did you know that less than 5% of physicians know anything about the endocabinoid oh, system? Oh, I know that. For instance, the other day, I had a pain specialist, a friend of mine, come up to me and say, Dr. Metcalf." Cannabis is not a medicine. Um, there's no research on it. And I don't want to get my patients stoned. I was flabbergasted. I looked at him and I said, sir... Are you
0: dumb? I mean, you know, don't you want... It, it, it's, in this day and age, there's, an, there's so much literature out there. If they're not reading it. They don't care.
1: Well, the reason being is because there's such a fear of cannabis, the endocannabinoid, And so, therefore, I said to him, until you understand basic physiology... Of the endocabinoid system, then you really can't do your patients the full justice that they deserve. Because right now, modern medicine treats a pill for an ill. If you have a symptom, we treat the symptom. We don't try to get down to the root cause. That's what the endocabinoid system is all about. Bringing the body back into balance. That's why I... I uh, certify hundreds if not thousands of patients because they're tired of conventional medicine, they're tired of not having quality of life, they're tired of not being able to function, they're tired of being in pain, and they want something different. And we can give them an alternative because there is research, and I've mentioned some of that. And there's more and more research coming out all the time. So physicians are going to be driven to learn more. That's why I teach a lot of physicians.
0: Do you feel that's who we get to first, Do you think educating the physicians first, I always thought it was educating the people first. Because if I know something, I tell my doctor, I use cannabis. No, I don't want a pain pill for my back. I use cannabis. And she loved it. She thought it was great. Well,
1: look at it this way. You're absolutely right. The thing is that's driving the cannabis movement in the United States is the moms that had children that had autism, that had seizures, and they go to the state medical boards and they talk about the research, they talk about their children, and that's why 34 independent state medical boards have approved it. Physicians are slowly learning. Their patients are asking, what do you know about it? And they say, we don't know anything about it. So you're either going to be left behind or you're going to learn more about it. But until it's being taught, until it's more pervasive in the medical community, rather than saying there's right. no scientific research, right. things
0: are not going to change. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But now that the colleges are involved, it's a different playing field, don't you think? Yeah. Because you know you're going to get you're going to get act. I would think I'd get much more accurate information from a university than our government because they're biased.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, just like banks, universities are afraid of losing federal funding. So and that's why the endocabinoid... In fact, the other day, I was talking to a professor of immunology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical School. And he was talking about all this new research on re- ret- retroviruses, gene splicing. And I said to him, Sir, what do you know about the endocabinoid system? He said to me, I don't know very much about it. And this was a professor of immunology. I, I was amazed. So I've made it my personal mission in order to take this message on the road. I'm thinking about expanding into Ohio, into other states. I'm talking to physicians because there's a need for this. Right now, there's very few isolated specialists. For instance, Dr. Dustin Sulak up in Maine, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein.
0: Oh, in California. I love she is wonderful. She is a pistol and she's a fighter, man. She's done a lot for the veterans. Right. Actually
1: actually Sue Sisley, Dr. Sue Sisley yeah. just completed a study on PTSD. Yeah. The results will be out end of this year. It was done in Scottsdale, Arizona.
0: Yeah. I mean, I met her. I loved her. I listened to her speak. Um she's doing an incredible job. Yes. We need more people like right. these people. There's not that many though. Right.
1: And the problem is is that the state of Pennsylvania, a lot of states, require they, they take a mandated course. Ours is four hours.
0: How could you take four hours to learn about cannabis Well, as a doctor? Here, wait, is it like this, John? <laughs> here's the book. Here's the endocannabinoid system. Right here is where we're focusing on. You know,
1: They, they focus more on the contraindications, the indications, and so therefore... That's what most physicians learn. So when they go to these certifying physicians, certifying physicians, if asked a question, they refer them to the pharmacist at the dispensary to ask the, to answer those questions in more detail.
0: Okay. Now, I spoke with the dispensary doctor yesterday, and I'm going to interview him today.
1: What's, what dispensary, do you recall? Yeah, talked th-
0: to so many people, and, sure. he, and he was tall, very nice-looking, dark-haired glasses.
1: Yes, that's Michael Butler My, Right from the Healing Center. Yes. Right. Really nice guy. He gave a talk yesterday on the opiate. I love
0: him. He Great guy. Is, what's his name?
1: Michael Butler. In fact, we communicate all the time because he's really big into the research, and so am I.
0: Yes, and he is a perfect person to team up with yes because you both have that passion and you have the knowledge and he in and and your learning because there's so much to learn
1: well you know something else too I recently was voted to, to be on the medical board of a new um, cannabis grower called penn health and uh, we'll start my duties probably over the next month or so and the reason I wanted to be on the medical board is because there needs to be a liaison between patients and the dispensaries. There also has to be what patients need for products, consistency. There's issues on how to grow it. There's issues right. on we pesticides. Don't want you, no, you don't no. want to
0: give, You don't want to give somebody sick and dying, you know, a, a medicine that has mold or pesticides in it. I mean, it could kill them. Right. I mean, that's why I said... But don't you have testing companies yes.
1: here? Here in the state of Pennsylvania, there's a analytical company called Steep Hill. Dr. Sue, who's their medical... Uh, chief scientist, Steve, he's the one who's the... Yeah,
0: they're they're in California. Yeah, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. Yeah. So you only have one testing lab?
1: Well, I believe they have most of the contracts for the state because the state, you know, a bunch of different analytical companies came in, and then the state chose which one they were going to use, and Steve Hills well, the well, one.
0: Now, was that based on money, power, and greed?
1: You know, whoever... That's...
0: Here, use my company. <laughs> Here's $500,000 just to put my you know I know I know I know because there's so many companies and right. there's a lot of good ones because I've worked with them right and uh, as long as they do what they're supposed to do right
1: right and you know basically they're all grown you know in state sanctioned facilities growers uh, so it was a very expensive process they had to put up a million dollar bond and it takes about two million just to get up and running so this is a real high priced business and there's been a there's been some problems too. Because, always, yeah. Always consistency of product. Products yep. not being available. Over packaging.
0: Expensive. I mean, Bec- and, you- and you know why? If they put up rules in the beginning and they don't change them every five minutes, you know they. You know it, it's like they do something, they put a rule together, and they're seeing that it's not working right. Right. And then they're changing it. Right. And and it really screws these people up. I mean, it's so sad because they're relying on the people that put these laws in place to give them accurate information. And they keep changing it. But it happens in every state, every city, every state. I've seen everybody go through the same thing. Well, not as much in Vegas, though. Okay. Because they regulate sex, drugs, alcohol—it doesn't matter—and they're great at it. Mm-hmm. So, well, the East
1: Coast is kind of obviously behind the West Coast, where the movement started in 1996 in California, and then kind of progressively moved east. And uh, there's a lot to learn, you know. Uh, there's a lot for all
0: of us to learn. Absolutely, Every day I learn something new.
1: And you know, I constantly are trying to keep up with the literature, and it gets harder and harder because there's so much that comes out. I mean, every day there's probably ten or twenty new studies. I go on PubMed every day, see what's available. I check all the all the research that I possibly can, and it's, it continues to be an ongoing process. And uh, so, trying to keep educated—that's why I talk to the pharmacists uh, at these dispensaries, and I want to be a liaison, especially with our with our new uh, grower that's coming on board. And I think that's going to be a very important part of, of doing that. Awesome.
0: I think it's I think it's great. This has been so wonderful. We, we, we definitely have to talk again.
1: I look Jeff, forward to it. I
0: mean, you just are a wealth of information. And I'm so blessed to have met you. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with us because our listeners need to know this. And it's just not Pittsburgh. It's just not California. Everybody goes through the same growing pains, the same bullshit, the same ass whole political people. I mean, it's all the same.
1: Well, let me just kind of conclude this with this statement. Because of my dad. Be well and know that I care.
0: Thank you so much, John. And you know what? On that note, it's time to blow this joint.
1: All righty.